Marcos, California. Your city has a podcast, and here it is. For more information, please check us out at sanmarcos.net. That's san-marcos.net and all the usual social media sites. Hi, this is Jack Griffin, city manager here at the city of San Marcos. Welcome to the latest installment of the San Marcos City Podcast. Uh, so for today, we'll do a quick update on uh, business activity here in the city in terms of city business uh, in October uh, and some just maybe some general updates on some of the things related to COVID that are or not really happening in the city, but in terms of where the city sits and relates to some of the COVID issues. So uh, there was only one council meeting in October. Uh, that was on October 13th, and it was a, a, a fairly light agenda in terms of numbers of uh, items, but there were actually a couple of uh, fairly significant uh, items to talk about. So um, the first item that the council, um, one, of the, one of the items the council took up was uh, something we do every year, which is declare vacancies on all of our various boards and commissions. So each year we'll have some number of uh, terms expiring, whether it's on the planning commission or parks and recreation commission or traffic commission or budget oversight committee, all those sorts of things. And so uh, this time of year, each year the council or the council approves declaring those vacancies and basically setting up the application period, which is now in November um, for people who want to either reserve on a committee they may be already been serving on, serve on a committee they weren't serving on, or if they haven't served on a committee or commission um, to apply to do that. Um, so go to the uh, city website, check, go to the city clerk portion of the city website. You can find all the information on uh, applying for those positions. The council usually uh, fills the positions on all the various committees and commissions at one of their January meetings. Um, so yeah, get your applications in and then, um, and then we'll see how I don't expect by <coughs> January, excuse me, we'll, we'll be back operating, um, uh, in-person meetings, but we'll figure out how we're going to do that from a, um, a virtual meeting perspective in terms of the council appointment of those vacancies. Uh, another item the council uh, took up and approved, uh, was applying for a grant, uh, about $720,000 to install electric vehicle charging stations on a few city-owned properties. These are only for properties that the city actually owns. Uh, the focus of that will be here at Civic Center um, on our parking lots and or parking garage and then maybe a couple other properties that the city owns as well. Uh, so hopefully that uh, process will move quickly on that grant and we'll be able to get those funds and uh, do that work here in the coming, uh, in the new year. Um, so that's a, a big item. Uh, another item the council approved was to declare two parcels of property that the city owns as surplus for the purposes of eventually selling them. Um, it's a process that every city is required to do under state law now is to, if you own property and you, um, as, a, as a municipality, and you find that you're not going to need to use it for uh, some municipal purpose, whether that's a revenue generating purpose or an actual municipal use um, that you can um, you can dispose of it and sell it, but you have to first go through this declaring it surplus uh, process that the state has enacted. And so uh, we've uh, the council approved doing that. One of the properties is on Sycamore uh, or out by Walnut Grove Park in the northern part of town, not in Twin Oaks Valley part of town, uh, and then the other parcel is. Uh, behind the North County Health Services building on Valpreda off of Rancheros. Um, so um, hopefully that uh, the process will go well and then we'll be able to um, sell those two properties, which we really don't see as a future need from a municipal perspective. And that those funds will certainly help uh, us deal with some of the budget uh, challenges that we're dealing with in the pandemic time. So um, it'll take a few months to get through that process. 
Uh, and then there's uh, two other items that I was going to mention. One of them is pretty significant. I'll get into the history of it a little bit. Um, so uh, the city council uh, voted to deny an appeal uh, again, that was filed uh, against the planning commission's approval of the proposed Kaiser Permanente Hospital. Um, so a little bit of history um, in 1992, so quite a long time ago, uh, the city approved a uh, project for um, for Kaiser to build a medical center uh, where their current campus is on Craven Road, uh, just west of uh, Twin Oaks Valley Road. Uh, so sort of behind the Ralph Shopping Center um, back in there. Um, and that original approval uh, in 1992, which included a development agreement that the city entered into with Kaiser, um, allowed them to build up to a little over 1.3 million square feet of a medical center. And that was going to include um, multiple buildings, uh, medical office, clinic space, and then a hospital. So it's essentially been on the books now for um, a hospital to be built on that site since almost almost 30 years, since 1992. Uh Sometime after that period of time, Kaiser, you know, for whatever reasons, I'm assuming, you know, having to do with how care is delivered and the business of, of health care, um, had made some decisions that eventually lowered the size of the project. Um, so the total size of the project, uh, as it gets to the point where it would be built out, will be about 700,000 square feet. So almost, almost half of the original size of the project. And they've built, um, if, you know, if you've been by there, you know that they've got their, you know, some buildings there now. So they've already got 230-some thousand square feet of, of office and clinic and urgent care and that kind of stuff um, in that, uh, on that campus already. Um, so what they're uh, proposing to do now is the last phase of the project, which would be to build a, basically a 430,000 square foot hospital, seven stories, about 206 beds. Um, and it would be, um, if you're looking at the, the, the current facility from Craven, um, it would be on the backside of the current building. So it would obviously be much taller than those existing buildings, but it would be not out towards the road. It'll be farther, uh, deeper into the site. <clears throat> um, because of a couple of issues that they were required to, um, issue what's called a supplemental environmental impact report. So an environmental impact report was approved for the original project, um, but there were some issues regarding cultural resources and biological resources um, that uh, both Kaiser and the city thought that they should re-examine. Um, given the significantly reduced size of the project, the things like traffic and all those sorts of things are obviously much less than what had been originally anticipated. So the mitigation measures that were approved then for that um, are sufficient. Um, but there were a couple of these other items that we thought that uh, time having passed, uh, they should look at with respect to biologic and cultural resources. And so they did that. Um, they've been working on that for quite a few months, and they took that to the Planning Commission on September 21st. The Planning Commission unanimously approved um, the supplemental EIR as well as the site development plan for the hospital itself. Um, and, and that's where the process would have ended, but for um, the city did receive an appeal uh, from a group called the Friends of San Marcos, and it was submitted on behalf of the Friends of San Marcos by a law firm in the Bay Area, um, and they were appealing the Planning Commission's um, decision to approve uh, that supplemental EIR principally. Uh, so the council heard that on the October 13th council meeting, and they denied the appeal. It was a unanimous vote of the city council to deny that appeal um, and, and allow the Planning Commission's um, approval of the EIR to be the city's position 
uh, as well as the approval of the site development plan. So that project um, from a, a city approval process now is essentially done um, other than, you know, things like building permits and, and you know, the more ministerial things. Uh, but in terms of the public process, that project is, is essentially ready to go. Um, and like I said, it's been in the works for a long time. It's been a, a key plan in terms of Kaiser Permanente's business. Uh, they don't have a North County facility dedicated, and so they've had this site for a very long time, um, always with this plan of eventually building uh, this hospital. So that's obviously, um, you know, it's an exciting use for the city um, and certainly for people that are members of Kaiser uh, that live in San Marcos and generally in North County. It'll be a welcome addition to, to their service levels. Um, the other item the council uh, approved uh, was ordinances that relate to accessory dwelling units. Um, and these are essentially what they sound like, but it's a little bit nuanced. Um, and the reason why the city had to take it up is because the state passed some laws in the last year or so. Uh, and one of them in particular that went into effect, excuse me, on January 1st of this year, which basically superseded city laws uh, in terms of restrictions on accessory dwelling units. And so if you were a city and you some you restricted either location, height, size, whatever of uh, accessory dwelling units, the state law sort of came in and superseded that. And then you had to follow the state law until you, re- you brought an ordinance back that was in compliance with the state regulations, um, but might have been more tailored to, to your individual city. And so um, so we've uh, had to do that because we did have an ordinance that uh, allowed accessory dwelling units in the past, but it allowed them in the residential areas um, that are larger minimum lot sizes um, for, the, for the most part. Um, and the new state law uh, allows accessory dwelling units really anywhere residential development, residential structures are allowed to be. Um, so whether it's single family or multifamily, um, you can have um, – uh, an accessory dwelling unit now. Um, the the ordinance gets in and the state law breaks them into basically three kinds. And I don't want to get too much in the weeds on the podcast. Um, you can always go to the city's website on any of these agenda items that I talk about in these sort of monthly wrap-up podcasts and, and see all the background information, whether it's on the Kaiser one, this one, or any other council item um, that was considered at the at, you know in that month. Um, but Essentially, there's three different kinds of accessory dwelling units that are considered within the state law. One's called a junior, uh, one's called an, an, um, an attached, and one's called a detached. And so the junior, the easiest way I think to think about the junior is it's sort of like a garage conversion. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to have a bathroom. It can share a bathroom with um, the other, with the principal unit. It can have like a mini kitchen, um, but it's intended to be, you know, that kind of a very small um, dwelling unit. Uh, within an existing dwelling unit or within a proposed single-family dwelling unit, um, the attached is is obviously it's it's similar to the um, to the junior, other than lar- it's allowed to be larger and have its own sort of kitchen and bathroom facilities. So it's more of a more distinct individual, independent uh, housing or dwelling unit from the principal dwelling units on the site. And then obviously, a detached one. Um, is detached from the single fem- from the existing dwelling, and so that could be you know somewhere back in more in the corner of a yard or what have you, which is not necessarily attached um, to the to the existing house or the proposed main residential structure on a, on a on a lot. Um, the state law also significantly limits what cities can do in terms of setback and height, well uh, what fees we are allowed to uh, charge. It actually uh, puts sort of a 
don't say moratorium because that's not the right word, but it puts a pause on city's ability to require owner occupancy um, for the latter two, uh, the attached to the detached, um, and that the cities cannot have an owner occupancy requirement for the units between January 20th, January 1st, 2020, and January 1st, 2025. And so there's this five-year window where cities aren't able to have those kinds of requirements. And, you know, I suspect most cities will will try to analyze in this five-year period what whether that's a significant impact or not, and if it creates any issues, positive or negative, um, and then decide after that 2025 date whether they want to address that. Um, I think the whole accessory dwelling unit is an attempt by the state to try and um, find ways to encourage more affordable housing construction. Um, these units don't have to be affordable in sort of the legal sense that they're limited to persons of certain household incomes. When people, when we, in city government, when we talk about affordable housing, we tend to think about housing that's to some extent subsidized by some level of government, whether it's local, county, or state. And it comes with restrictions in terms of the income levels of the people that can live, rent, or buy there. So these accessory dwelling units um, are not do not have those restrictions um, built into them, other than <clears throat> obviously size um, being smaller. Um, it presumably, would be you know more affordable just because of square footage costs uh, to build and maintain and for rent. So, um, so those were the key items on the council agenda uh, in October. Again, October thirteenth was the only meeting this month. Next meeting will be the second Tuesday in November. I think that's the 10th. Um, so we'll do a, an update later in November on what uh, activities occurred uh, at that meeting. Um, the other thing I'd take just a couple minutes and touch on um, with respect to what's going on in the city. I talked about finances last time we did the, I did the business update. I thought I would just talk a little bit about the COVID situation. There's not a whole lot of news from a city perspective. I think recently the state has allowed – um, playgrounds to be reopened. And so the city um, has reopened its playgrounds. Um, it was a ma- month or so ago. Um, so that was, I, I think, welcome news for uh, parents of younger children. It gives them the opportunity to go out and, and use the playground facilities. I think most cities were eager to allow those things to be used um, as it seems like younger children, particularly outside or, you know, I don't want to, try to avoid always playing the uh, amateur doctor epidemiologist that we're all occasionally trying to do. But anyway, it seems like a reasonable approach to allow those facilities to be reopened again. There seems like there's a little bit of, there's plenty of data out there available or, or data that doesn't exist and indicates that it's a problem. Um, so in terms of cases in San Marcos, uh, I think I've, as I've said before, we're, um, our percentage of the population is higher than our percentage of the cases in the county. So I think that's over, I don't know whether that's underperforming, underperforming or overperforming. What we're doing better, um, we have fewer cases than you would expect our proportion of the population of the county uh, would have. So that's a good thing. We're in the bottom sort of third of, of, of that in terms of a ratio of cases to the percentage of cases in the county compared to ca- your population in the county. Um, so that's, um, you know, that's all good, and hopefully that will continue. Um, I think from a countywide perspective, um, the, if you're paying attention to how counties are allowed to move through the state's system of, um, of what's it, uh, levels of infection, um, so there's significant and su- substantial and then average and then minimal and all the effort. I have those words wrong, but there's everybody knows the colors, purple, red, orange, yellow. Um, so we're red, so we're the third. Uh, level from the highest. So purple's the highest or the most restrictive in terms of 
particularly indoor business activities. And then there's Orange, which is where the county of San Diego lies. Then, um, or then Red, where we lie. Then Orange. Then Yellow. Um, so, the county's been in uh, in the Orange level or in the Red level. I can't keep saying making the same mistake. Uh, has been in the Red level now for um, basically since the governor rolled out this this criteria system, um, and we've. We've always been, there were two principal um, metrics. One was the number of cases per 100,000. And on that one, we've always been very close to the upper limits of the red category. So um, it, it wouldn't take much of a consecutive day increase of cases in the county to see the, co- the county maybe move into the higher level. The other one is the percentage of positive results of the tests given. Um, and we've actually been pretty well below uh, the limit of that. So the, the, the upper limit for the category below us is 4.9 and we're at, th- we've been around three. I think we were 3.3 is what the county reported this week. Um, we're at seven cases per 100,000 countywide as of now. And that's essentially the threshold. So like Riverside County last or this past week um, was, was taken from red back up to purple. Um, San Diego avoided that, but the, there's the trend has been moving in that direction. I think we've went from 6.5 to 6.8 to now seven. Um, so hopefully that trend stops and we stay where we're at and we start to turn back the other way. Uh, and then the state introduced what was called a, a, a health equity index, which is a third level, which is, is a bit more complicated. I'm not quite sure I understand it um, and how they calculate it, but um, it sort of looks at the more underprivileged uh, sections of a county and, and, and uses them as more of a benchmark as to how they're doing with relation to the rest of the county. And so I think San Diego improved slightly in that one, um, but we're at the level, we're, we're in the red level for that as well. So, um, so hopefully we stay in the red and the businesses that have been allowed to reopen um, with interior operations at, you know, at the reduced levels they are, are able to continue doing that. Um, that we see, um, we don't see the cases increasing um, and turn that trend back around. So I think, you know, again, encourage everyone to um, wear their masks and socially distance and try to avoid congregating in large groups. You know, that's going to be a little bit tougher as we get into the holiday season. But, um, you know, I think that if the, the more, the more we can do that as a, as a larger community, the faster we'll get down to those bottom levels. And, and, you know, I don't, everybody, the, word, the, the term new normals sort of worn out, but, um, uh, getting back to some semblance of where we were before all this started. So, so that's where we're at. So I, like I said, the city's doing pretty well, um, in, in that regard and the schools, I think opened this week for, uh, was it K and first grade? Um, so there's some, change in that direction as well. So hopefully um, more good news on, on the horizon um, and uh, the trends turn back and we start to see the cases in the county drop so that we can all um, start to resume closer to what was life before all this. Um, so anyway, that's, that's it for uh, October. And um, thanks again for, uh, for checking in with us. Um, if you're hearing us for the first time and you haven't subscribed, please do so. Um, if you have any comments or suggestions, please send us an email at podcast at san-marcos.net. Uh, we're happy to um, hear uh, any suggestions or comments or requests for maybe some subjects to take up um, and see if we can work those in. Um, and if you're, uh, please spread the word that we're doing a podcast and let us know how we're doing because we, um, we really want to make this to try to be a useful and 
an informative um, vehicle of our communications platform. So with that, thanks very much uh, for, for checking in, and we look forward to carrying on the conversation down the road. Thanks.